Coming up this evening, live from New York City. The president announcing a potential new economic strategy around Asia. It's considered a plan to counter China, but will it work? Starbucks leaving Russia after 15 years. It's just the latest retailer to exit over Moscow's invasion of Ukraine. And are you worried about retiring during a market crash? What should you do? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great to have you with us. Paul Graney here, live from New York City. As Starbucks says it's permanently leaving Russia, it'll wind down operations across 130 stores. It didn't say how much financial impact this would have on its business, but the Russian market accounts for only a relatively small portion of its sales. Starbucks said nearly 2,000 employees in Russia would continue to be paid for six months that also receive help finding new jobs. Starbucks first opened in Russia more than a decade ago, but Western companies have been under intense pressure to leave the Russian market since the country invaded Ukraine. Workers are also taking down the iconic golden arches from a McDonald's just north of Moscow today. The action comes just days after the fast food chain announced plans to exit Russia, marking the end of more than three decades of operating in Russia. It's now selling its restaurants in Russia to one of its local licensees who will rebrand them under a new name. McDonald's has said it'll keep its trademarks. His departure is one of the most high profile so far over the war. And the president just announced his new Indo-Pacific economic framework this morning. Observers called an attempt to counter China's considerable influence in Asia. Indonesia's Jessica Beatty has more on that. President Biden's in Tokyo launching a new Indo-Pacific economic framework as Washington tries to keep Beijing's influence in check. We share the same goal of ensuring a free and open Indo-Pacific that will deliver greater prosperity and greater opportunity for all of our children. The framework has 13 members, including the United States. Together, they represent 40 percent of global gross domestic product. The new group does not include China or Taiwan. Ahead of the launch, China's foreign minister accused the U.S. of trying to contain Beijing. In response, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan told reporters that other countries can join in the future. He said the group is not a security arrangement, it'll mostly deal with economic policies. The group will focus on four main economic pillars, connecting economies, including digitally, supply chain resilience, renewable energy, and tax and anti-corruption. Ahead of the announcement, U.S. Trade Representative Catherine Tai said trading partners in the region were enthusiastic. I don't think anybody's economy is stronger because of COVID, right? Um, and uh, there is um, a, a pretty pervasive sense of anxiety about um, uh, how we recover. I actually think that this presents us with an incredible opportunity. Back in 2017, the Trump administration pulled out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Then China magnified its influence in the region with the largest trade bloc in history. Catherine Tai says the U.S. is focused on competition with China and bringing a market-based approach to the region. The United States will always bring an economic engagement that is grounded in our values. So uh, the engagement that we will bring um, by nature inherently will be different from China's engagement with the region. Seeking Alpha reports that the group is not a free trade deal. Instead, it's more of an economic arrangement. That means a lot of it likely won't have to go through Congress. Jessica Beatty, NTD News.
So with us is Riley Walters, Japan Chair Deputy Director at the Hudson Institute. Riley, good to see you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Riley, I think before we get into this new plan and, and proposal, to give us some reference point to what exactly China is offering these countries in the Indo-Pacific, maybe you can go through some of the things they're using to attract them into their plans. Well, China is already a top uh, trading partner for many of these countries. Uh, but what we've seen over the years through what many refer to as their Belt and Road Initiative, uh, we see a lot of uh, cheap loans, uh, a lot of investments in these areas with uh, you know relatively low interest rates, uh, a lot of Chinese investments in, in new infrastructure, which is really appealing to a lot of these uh, developing economies. And so um, that, in a sense, is creating, you know, uh, building economic relationships there. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, China being the largest economy for many of these partners, uh, continuing on with, with that relationship. Because when asked about the framework and the benefits for these countries, the um, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan today, he said that the U.S. is offering them to work with America on rules and standards, supply chains, innovations decarbonization measures on the technical expertise, anti-corruption and taxation. Are these things that these countries are actively looking for? Uh, some, yes. Others, not so much. I mean, a lot of these developing economies, there's, there's two things that they really, I think, mostly want. They want energy. They want access to energy. Uh, and they want new infrastructure. Uh, and so when you talk about things like the digital infrastructure, I don't. I don't know even if Western states, if, if the United States or even Europe has an understanding domestically of what that means. And so, to bring in some of these developing economies under this new framework, I think it's asking a lot. Uh, there's also, of course, the trade aspect. A lot of these countries do want more trade with the United States. They want to be able to export to the world's largest consumer. But again, we're not offering that as a part of this framework. Why? Political reasons, honestly, you know, uh, the Biden administration and his uh, trade representative, their number one priority is American workers. Uh, you know, it's putting American workers first above all other things. And for them, that doesn't mean increasing imports. That means increasing exports. It's much like the previous Trump administration's priorities. It's prioritizing American workers and American exports. And so that doesn't necessarily work well with these developing economies who need a market to access to, to sell their goods to you know be able to, to, to develop more and so it's 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 a political one really uh, and you know it's it's you could argue it's not just the Biden administration that it's Washington Washington has more or less given up on negotiating trade agreements uh, and that's that's really I think short-sighted uh, it really lacks strategy when we're thinking about competing with China for the next decade or, or more. Well, on trade agreements, Jake Sullivan in this press call as well, he said they're developing a big new trade agreement, it seems, with Taiwan, a notable absentee from this new Indo-Pacific framework. Uh, what are your thoughts on the, the name Taiwan missing from the list? Well, I am upset that Taiwan was not initially included in the initial announcement of this framework. I understand that, you know, the argument that some people have made that uh, not including Taiwan has allowed us to uh, accept more ASEAN members as a part of this. But, uh, you know, it, it, 
what are we what are we really gaining from that? Uh, especially since this framework in itself is more of a diplomatic tool than anything else, uh, it really seems like we're leaving Taiwan on the sidelines. And what the U.S. can offer, I'm I'm skeptical. I mean, we do have the trade investment framework agreement with Taiwan. We have the Trade and Technology Council, uh, but you know the Biden administration, like I was previously saying, they're not in the deal of negotiating new trade deals. They're not going to. Uh, push for a U.S.-Taiwan trade agreement. If they did, color me a surprise, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. So to say that there's going to be a big deal soon, I, I'm very skeptical of what that could look like. Are you saying that they left Taiwan, perhaps they left Taiwan out of this because it's like a political hot potato? Other countries who officially don't recognize Taiwan as its own separate uh, governing body may be offended and not join this new framework? Absolutely. I think the leading indicator for the White House of the success of this framework is the number of countries that they could get to sign up to it initially, which right now is 12. Uh, and so to have included Taiwan and lost several of those members, they wouldn't have gotten 12, potentially. And so they're, they're really maximizing, they're looking more for the quantity of members than really the quality of the membership and, and the agreement itself. Riley Walters at the Hudson Institute. And President Biden said today his administration might remove some Trump-era trade tariffs on China. The Treasury Secretary argues the tariffs seem to cause more harm to Americans. But Republican Senator Bill Haggerty disagrees. He told Fox Business that removing the China trade tariffs would take away the only leverage the U.S. has to bring China to more normalized trade relations. We'll keep you updated on that. And help has arrived for hungry babies. A military cargo plane carrying the first shipment of baby formula from Europe landed in Indianapolis yesterday. Just to help address the critical shortage in the United States, I'm sure you've heard. The White House also announced that a second flight has been arranged. FedEx's acting CEO, Frederick Smith, says his company will help with the next airlift. Here he is. Well, this is hot off the presses, but we'll have a, a, the first one coming in Wednesday, the first one we're doing. It's coming from Romstein, uh, same place this came from, Romstein Air Force Base in Germany, and I believe it's coming in Indianapolis, but I don't have all the details yet. U.S. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack greeted the first plane yesterday. He said around 17,000 children will benefit from this batch of formula. In February, a recall by top U.S. baby formula maker Abbott and the closing of its plant in Michigan created one of the biggest baby formula shortages in recent history. The Biden administration wants to put over a million containers of Nestle baby formula on empty shelves. Last week, the president invoked the Defense Production Act, remember from the pandemic, to help increase supplies. And down on Wall Street, stocks ended higher today. Gains from banks and a rebound in tech shares supported a pretty broad-based rally, as following last week's decline. The Dow gained 618 points, 2 percent. S&P 500 added 72 points, 1 and 9 tenths of a percent. The Nasdaq rose 181 points, 1 and 6 tenths of a percent. And if you're worried about your portfolio retirement fund following recent stock market declines, what should you do? We asked different experts for their advice. In the Newsday Quarter, has more. 
Stocks are currently falling, but over time they recover and generally move upwards. But what about investors who want to retire very soon? At this point, I wouldn't do anything. Michael Bussler is a finance professor at Stockton University. Bussler sees a recession coming, and he says people in the market should wait that out. It may have a little ways to... Uh, to go. Once the economy writes itself, and I think that may be at least a year away. Between 1950 and 2018, the S&P 500 dropped 11 times. In seven of those 11, recovery took only one year. Notable exceptions include the 1969 bear market, the 1973 market crash, the dot-com bubble, and the 2008 financial crisis. I would just say have clarity in knowing what you own in that portfolio and make sure you stick to your process. Mark Pearson is the founder of Nepsis, a financial services firm. Pearson says it's a good idea to adjust your portfolio during periods of uncertainty and that it should be allocated in a way to take you into retirement. The IRS allows penalty-free withdrawals from 401ks at age 59 and a half and requires withdrawals after age 72. None of the moves that need to be made in this marketplace have to be all or none. Don Kaufman is the co-founder of Theotrade, an online financial education service. Kaufman says even though the market is down, it's still pretty high up over the three years. At the very minimum, look to take off one third or even half the total position. The risk at this point is just, it's simply, it's more serious than at any other point in time since that financial crisis. Another expert who's a bit closer to the issue believes it should be all. Baby boomers might very well not have enough time left in their life to recover. Ron Sears is the co-host of the Baby Boomer Investing Show. Sears says retiring boomers should withdraw their money from the stock market now. If you're going to lose money, you'd rather do it when you're, you're about to die rather than when you're about to retire. Bay Quarter, NTD News. And more businesses are feeling the impact of inflation. Buy now, pay later firm Klarna said today it'll lay off about 10% of its staff globally. Klarna is based in Sweden, but it employs around 7,000 people. The company's CEO says business sentiment has worsened since it set us business plans as recently as the fall of 2021. Specifically, because of the war in Ukraine, a shift to consumer sentiment, a steep increase in inflation, and a highly volatile stock market, likely upcoming recession. Buy now pay later platforms like Klarna allow people to pay in several installments without paying any interest. It became pretty popular during the pandemic as more people shopped online. But with rising inflation, consumers are prioritizing purchases. Another buy now pay later company, Affirm, has lost 75% of its value this year. Klarna is privately held, posted a $700 million loss last year. Now it's looking to raise about $1 billion in new funding. And HSBC reportedly suspended a senior banker over climate change comments. It's according to the Financial Times, citing people in the know. Stuart Kirk is the head of HSBC's Sustainable Investments. Last week at a conference hosted by the FT, he said central bank policymakers and global authorities are exaggerating the financial risks of climate change. And because of that, his team has to spend way more time dealing with climate risk instead of other challenges like inflation. The presentation was called Why Investors Need Not Worry About Climate Risk. To criticism of climate activists, of course. HSBC's boss Noel Quinn said over the weekend he doesn't agree at all with the banker's remarks. He also said the bank won't be distracted from its ambition to lead the global economy to net zero.
And some tragic news in New York City. A banker was shot dead during a subway ride from his home in Brooklyn on the way to brunch in the city. Some are calling it a senseless tragedy. Denisville Zoe is the story. It was right here on this platform where the killer escaped right after shooting a Goldman Sachs banker in the chest after getting off a Q train headed towards Manhattan. Over the weekend, Goldman Sachs worker Daniel Enriquez was on his way to brunch when he was reportedly approached by a stranger on the Q train, shot in the chest and later pronounced dead at the hospital. According to authorities, the suspect was pacing back and forth on the train while it was going over the Manhattan Bridge before he shot the 48-year-old victim. The victim's sister told the New York Post there was no interaction with the murderer at all. We are devastated by this senseless tragedy, said the CEO of Goldman Sachs. This comes after 10 people were shot in a horrific incident last month at a Brooklyn subway station. The victim has worked at Goldman Sachs for nearly a decade. Before that, he was working at Morgan Stanley. Phil Zoe, NTD News, New York. Over in Europe, eight years of negative interest rates may soon be coming to an end. The European Central Bank says it's likely to start raising rates in July, even exit negative territory two months later by the end of September. Europe's inflation rate is almost four times higher than the ECB's target. Negative rates can stimulate the economy by making it cheaper to borrow, but it can also lead to inflation. ECB's key rate currently stands at 0.5% negative. Last time it increased rates was back in 2011. It raised them by quarter percentage point increments. Some ECB officials have said that rate increases could be more aggressive this time, maybe by half a percentage point at the end of July. It's still to come. Stay with us. New business ideas could come from many places, even a bad-tasting beer. We hear from one man who set a whole new standard. Applebee's outsourcing its takeout orders to call centers. Why? That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. The FDA is investigating a multi-state salmonella outbreak they believe is linked to some Jif peanut butter products. A total of 14 people in 12 states have reported illness due to the outbreak. Two have been hospitalized. The salmonella cases have been traced back to a plant in Lexicon, Kentucky, operated by the J.M. Schmucker Company. You can check the FDA's website to see if any of your peanut butter is included in the recall. And because peanut butter can have up to a two-year shelf life, Consumers are urged to check their pantries. And Arby's is adding a new, surprising item to its menu. For the first time in company history, the fast food chain best known for its roast beef is now selling burgers. It's called the Wagyu Steakhouse Burger and has been offered from now through the end of July. This burger is made from a combination of ground beef and Wagyu beef and officials say they spent more than two years working on it. Arby says the Wagyu Steakhouse Burger is 50% bigger than McDonald's Quarter Pounder. Comes with American cheese, lettuce, tomato, pickles, red onion, and a special sauce. 
Costs five dollars ninety-nine cents, and there are currently thirty-four hundred Arby's locations in the U.S., according to research firm Technomic. Many businesses were born out of the need to solve an important problem for customers. One man in Chicago created an entire industry standard after having some bad-tasting beer. Here's the story. According to Gallup's 2021 study, beer is the most popular alcoholic drink in the U.S. The beer industry offers choices of more than 100 styles and thousands of brands. Proper handling and servicing practices are key to serving fresh and great-tasting beers to consumers. I was involved in the, in the beer business and representing beer uh, at a national level. Uh, and I was going into places all over the country that were serving uh, beer and didn't know what they were doing and they couldn't tell you about the beer and they were handling the beer in, in ways that damaged the beer and, and made it unpleasant to drink. Out of frustration, Ray Daniels founded the Cicerone Certification Program in Chicago 14 years ago. The program educates and certifies beer professionals in the sale and service of beer to consumers on four levels. The first level is very basic for uh, bartenders, waitstaff, uh, retail uh, clerks, and it's called Certified Beer Server. If uh, people are more involved in beer, if they're buying beer, selling beer, um, uh, doing more uh, involved jobs directly with beer, there's additional levels that they can pursue. One of the important elements of the program is the proper maintenance of the draft equipment. This is a faucet. If you don't clean it for months and months, then it's going to be unpleasant inside. For a certified Cicerone, they need to know how to take this apart. They need to be able to identify all the different uh, parts and pieces and tell us what they do. And there's many uh, cases where bars have neglected uh, cleaning their uh, draft equipment and um, uh, they begin to clean it properly and over time you see the sales uh, begin to increase because the beer tastes better. At the fourth and the highest level of the Cicerone certification, Master Cicerone, more than equipment knowledge is needed. It requires an exceptional understanding of beer, from brewing, ingredients, and flavors to pairing. You also need to have that sort of a professional relationship with chefs to be able to talk about food and the flavors in, and processes of, of cooking and how that uh, might pair with, with beer and what the flavors of beer have to offer uh, on the food side. Daniels emphasized that the Cicerone certification is nothing like the sommelier certification for wine. Since 2007, Cicerone certification has become the industry standard for beer sales and serving. 140,000 people worldwide have been certified as Cicerone servers, while only 20 have been crowned master Cicerones. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News. Cheers. In this era of ordering everything online, many people still like to order takeout by making a call from their phone. Applebee's says their workers are often too busy to take those calls, so they're just going to outsource them to call centers. The casual dining restaurant chain is already using call centers for phone orders at roughly half of its nearly 1,600 locations. But by the end of 2022, Applebee's wants most of its locations on board with outsourcing their takeout calls. Its executives say the call centers often provide a better experience for customers as the person who answers isn't also waiting tables or preparing meals. But they say it's still possible to call your local restaurant to get directions or to find out if it's busy. 
And over in Egypt, you can now help reduce food waste by ordering fresh, excess food from restaurants and other suppliers with a discount. Anthony's Andrew Thomas has more. Through an app called Takea, users in the Arab world's most populous country can order meals and send them to charities. Restaurants, too, can donate their excess food for free. The application was founded by the Dubai-based couple Mena Shaheen and her husband, Max Hartson, who launched it in 2019. The idea of the Takia application is based on the idea of a triple win. When users order via Takia, they save money 50%. Providers or restaurants who advertise on Takia make more profits, charities on Takia get free meals, the idea is that we brought all these people together to contribute to reduce environmental pollution. With Takia, it's not me who reduces pollution. We created an entire community that reduces pollution with one click. The application now relies on a provider-to-consumer model, but a future phase of the project will introduce a provider-to-provider -provider model, so supermarkets can sell their excess products to restaurants at reduced prices. The founders say they hope to work across the food supply chain and reduce food loss in farms as well. This is something you, you, you really contribute to society with. It's all what we do. I mean, even the fact that I'm talking to you, it's because of all what we've done. In, in 2021, we saved around 40,000 meals. In Egypt, household food waste is estimated to reach 200 pounds per person each year. That's according to the United Nations Environmental Program Food Waste Index published in 2021. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. As the latest in the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney, can still catch NTD Evening News with Stephanie Cox. That's at 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Follow me on Twitter, too, if you're there. For NTD Business, it's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.